Our first reading this evening comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. As we come to the time for our prayers of intercession this evening, I'd like to share with you a poem I came across this week and use it as a reflection. Let us pray. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among others, to make music in the heart. Father God, we pray tonight that in the midst of all the Christmas hustle and bustle, we might find a way to point those that are lost to you. You, whom the angels announced as saviour of the world that first Christmas night. Lord, help us, we pray, to share the good news of your gospel this Christmas. Lord, we lift before you all who are broken and suffering. Through grief, pain, illness, stress, loneliness, often magnified at this time of year. Lord, we remember that you came as the Prince of Peace, offering to each of us a peace that is beyond our comprehension. Grant that peace, we pray, to all those in special need of it tonight. Father God, we pray tonight for all those who are hungry, some as a result of war, some of natural disaster, and others affected by an uncertain economic climate or family breakdown. We pray for all those working to bring relief in these situations, for aid agencies abroad and here in Horsham for our food bank. Your word reminds us that whatever we do for the least of our brothers and sisters, we do for you, Lord. And we pray that at this time of gift-giving, you will make us generous 
to those in greatest need. Lord, we remember tonight those persecuted and imprisoned for their faith, for those who have put their trust in you and have found that it has brought them pain, rejection and a sense of isolation. For those who, because of their faith in Christ, have lost their home, their freedom, their family and their friends. For those who face persecution because of their stand for the truth and for those whose lives are in darkness because they have shared the light of Christ with others. Lord, may your love sustain their hope and their faith. Father God, we pray tonight for the rebuilding of our nation. We pray especially for our Parliament, that they would not show any partiality or prejudice, but would walk the path of kindness, justice and mercy. Give them wisdom, insight and a concern for the common good. Lord, who is risen with healing in his wings, heal our fractured land, we pray. Lord, this Christmas time, we pray for your peace for all. And, like Mary, may our hearts sing with the joy of your goodness to each one of us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. We continue the story from Luke's Gospel as we read chapter 1, beginning at verse 56. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he's to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbours were all filled with awe and throughout the full hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. In the opening sentence of Mary's Song of Praise there's one word that comes three times and it's that little possessive pronoun, my. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. And why does she declare that? It's because she can also address God as my Saviour. 
That's the key to all genuine praise and worship of God. If you don't know God as your saviour, then worship isn't going to come naturally to you. You may admire the music. Thank you. Enjoy the fellowship. Admire the buildings. Say amen at the end of the prayers. You might even pay attention to the sermon if the preacher is lucky. But worship, worship takes place when your soul glorifies the Lord and your spirit rejoices in God because he is your saviour. So in Mary's case, she magnifies the Lord because the Lord has done magnificent things for her. And we worship a God who does great things for his people and we worship him because he does great things for his people. Because he is our saviour. This is about walking each day in tandem with God, committing each day to him, asking him to be at work in and through and for you. Praising him for the kind of God he is and the kind of things that he does. Being open to recognising and welcoming his saving presence. I sometimes use the morning prayer from the Celtic Daily Office and one of the things I treasure about it is the closing blessing. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. If God is your saviour, then he will do wonderful things for you. Redeeming you from sin and death, being with you in any and every situation, being a God whom you can trust and who you can expect to be with you and alongside you. Those words from the Celtic Daily Office express the same spirit of praise and confident trust in God that we find in Mary's song. The strange thing about Mary's song, though, is that here she is telling God how marvellous he is and celebrating all the great things he's done. And for Mary, at least, God hasn't really done very much yet. All she has is a commission and a promise that she will be the mother of God's chosen saviour. What summons this song of praise from her heart is the way in which she's found confirmation of that promise in the discovery that her cousin Elizabeth is indeed pregnant, just like the angel said. And that Elizabeth had been so filled with the Holy Spirit that she knew exactly what God had promised to Mary. So Elizabeth greets Mary as the mother of my Lord. And that was enough to persuade Mary of the truth of the angel's promise to her, to convince Mary that God had great things in store for her. So we might think it's a bit premature at this early stage for Mary to say, the mighty one has done great things for me, because it's all actually still in the future, though there is that sense of privilege at being chosen to be the mother of God's Messiah. But there's a prophetic dimension to Mary's song of praise. She worships God for what he has just begun to do. In anticipation of all he is yet to do in her and through her 
and for her. She has been chosen for an immensely privileged responsibility and she celebrates God's faithfulness to her in the recognition that he will do amazing things. Her song doesn't just express praise and worship, it's also a declaration of faith and trust and confidence in God. And Mary is quite overwhelmed by God's goodness to her. His sovereign decision to choose her, of all people. Amazed that future generations would remember her name, and we're doing that tonight. That people throughout the world would call her blessed because of the great things the Lord would do for her. And in terms of worldly status, she was a nobody. Eminently forgettable. Someone with no power, no wealth, no influence, no social standing, almost certainly no education. In worldly terms, she had nothing going for her at all. But God was mindful of her humble state, as she puts it. And so he did great things for her. I guess the temptation, if you have status, money, power, influence, high-level social connections and a good education, is to think, there's so much I could do for God. And there's no doubt that God can and does use gifted people. But what he looks for, first and foremost, is an attitude of humility. Not, God, I'm bringing all these gifts and abilities to you. It's coming before God with empty hands. Once you start to pull rank, it stops being about God and it starts being about you and what you can achieve. But when God looks for people he can work through, when he looks for people he can work with, he looks for people who don't big themselves up. He looks for people who are humble, people who are receptive, people who are open to what God may want to say to them and what God might want to do through them. People a bit like Mary, actually. Then having celebrated the way in which God has done amazing things for her, Mary opens up the throttle of praise and expands the horizons of her vision and declares that God's mercy extends from one generation to the next of those who fear him. This is the God who performs mighty deeds. This is the God who turns the tables on the rich. This is the God who brings down the proud rulers who have neither the need nor the time for God. So he scatters the proud in their inmost thoughts and the imagination of their hearts. He brings down the rulers from their thrones. Those who are wealthy are turned away from his presence with empty hands. But the humble are lifted up. Those who are hungry are filled with good things. You look around the world and you don't see that kind of thing happening very much. Sometimes Mary's song of praise about this is, this is what God does needs to be a song of lament because we don't see it happening enough. Or a prayer of petition asking God that this is what he would do. But these things are on God's agenda. 
And it's difficult to read Mary's song of praise without it becoming a prayer that God's kingdom would come and turn the values of this world upside down. That nobody's would be given honour and respect. And those who have nothing would have plenty. Enough to spare and to share. It all sounds a bit like the great socialist dream, which never quite seems to work out in practice. Perhaps that's because just changing people's circumstances without changing the inner state of mind and heart only does half the job. The kingdom of God is not just about radical social reform, turning society upside down. It is also about changing people from the inside out. Replacing our innate selfishness with the fear of God. So that as we begin to live our lives for him under his guidance and direction, the whole direction and purpose of our life is turned round. We recognise that each day is a gift given to us by God and we are answerable to him for what we do with it and how we live it. And that can make a big difference to our outlook on life and how we live. And that's the vital ingredient to making a lasting difference to people's situations. So this is a song that celebrates what God does for those who fear him and who are humble in heart. People like Mary. Are we people like that? Are we people who fear God and who are humble in heart? Do we read Mary's song and feel a heartfelt stirring in the depths of our soul saying, yes Lord, I identify with every word. Or do we feel just a little bit uneasy those references to God scattering the proud, pulling down those in authority, emptying the pockets of the rich. Because actually, deep down, if we're honest, we know that we're middle class, well off, and maybe even a bit proud of it. So reading Mary's song could be quite disconcerting. But the good news is that middle class successful people are welcoming God's kingdom as well. And that can be quite a relief. Particularly if cracks start to appear in the well-ordered, comfortable lives we've built for ourselves. But we need to remember that God accepts and welcomes us not because we're well-to-do, successful and respectable, but because he welcomes all comers into his kingdom. The door is wide open to anyone and everyone. But the lintel of the door is set very low. Anyone coming into God's kingdom has to stoop down and bow down to go through it. People only get through if they humble themselves. People only get through if they honour God. We can't walk through it with heads held high, full of who we are and what we've done and what we represent. We come through the door humbly, fearing God, acknowledging our inadequacy. Because what God looks for is not how much money you've got in the bank, how many houses or cars you own, how many letters you have after your name. When we come into his presence, what he looks for is the state of our hearts. Are we humble in spirit?
Do we fear and honour him? Do we hunger and thirst for what is good and right? And, maybe there's a challenge here, if we're humble in spirit and we fear and honour God and we hunger and thirst for what is good and right, then we will be people who pray. Because that's the natural outworking of those qualities. A humble reliance on God. A fear of God. A desire to see God's kingdom come. People who've got it all sewn up and don't bother about other people don't really need to bother with prayer unless things go wrong with them. But humble people, humble people will worship God because they know that their own status pales into insignificance when compared with the greatness and the majesty of the living God. And those who fear God, those who fear God will seek his grace and enabling and empowering to live each day in a way that honours him. And people who pray will be people who pray for change. Because we recognise that there is a massive discrepancy between the status quo, how things are now, and God's kingdom, how God wants them to be. So yes, we pray. We pray for world events that we read about in the news. And if you've been praying for Yemen, you might see the ceasefire in Hodeida as an answer to prayer. And you'll be praying that it will indeed mark a turning point in this conflict that's dragged on for three and a half years and put millions in danger of starvation from famine. But we will also be praying at a personal level that in our own small way we can be agents of change for good in our daily lives. And that here in Brighton Road we would see God working out the agenda of his kingdom in and through us and for us in the coming year. So a question for you to consider. And I know it's desperately hard to look beyond December the 25th, which kind of becomes the be-all and end-all at this point in the year. But if you can think a little bit about 2019, what great things do you long for God to do in this coming year? What's on your heart? What do you long to see God do? in, for, through you.